0: You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike with the fin Fans podcast. Uh, this evening we're going to be discussing our five favorite players in franchise history. And with me to do that, I've got uh, Matt Pope and I've got Louis Argoni. Before we get started, I, I do want to acknowledge uh, the passing of a good friend of mine and a good friend of the page and, and the podcast, Eric Bell. Eric was very kind to me and was a very knowledgeable Dolphin fan. He's been around since the first game of the franchise, and sadly he uh, suffered a heart attack yesterday and uh, did not survive. So shout out to uh, Eric, Eric's friends and, and family and buddy I know you'll be missed. Now we'll say uh, Eric was a, a pretty positive person overall especially when it became you know when it came to the Dolphins. I think this is a show he really would have enjoyed and for that reason we're going to go ahead and dedicate it to him and his memory. All right. So, uh, tonight, as I mentioned, we've got Matt filling in for Jim. Uh, he, he needed a day off. Uh, he's in uh, Virginia at a business meeting. The way we put this together was we each picked five favorite players. And, uh, then we, we checked, uh, with each other to see who we picked. We removed any duplicates. So I had to go back and pick a couple other players because I'm the oldest guy here. And, uh, I've seen a few more players than these guys might have, so I thought that'd be the fair thing to do with that said welcome matt uh
1: how are you doing doing all right, good to be here good to uh be checking back in with you all you fin fans so how you doing Lewis? Uh, great
2: Mike This was a task this was a task. this was a major task, but very tough now that it now that we're you know to the fun part,
1: I'm good to go all right so. Why don't we start off with Matt's fifth favorite player? My fifth player was a wide receiver, OJ McDuffie. Uh, Just a guy that, uh, I don't know, I just enjoyed watching. He never really had, didn't have too many, you know, outstanding stat seasons like you would see now uh, compared in today's NFL uh, with the uh, focus on offense. But just a guy that really liked watching him play. He was a leader on the field, was a leader in the locker room. Uh, never had really great size or speed but man the the guy just played uh was no sure thing coming out when he was drafted wasn't sure he would even be a starter but man he became a uh, a go-to uh, wide receiver returned punts held on to the ball uh never had any you know bad games and i never really remember seeing man o j mcduffie screwed up man he just he put it out on the field every week, and uh, uh, it was fun to watch him and his chemistry with Marino. And I just enjoyed watching him.
0: Yeah, when I think of OJ, I think of sure hands.
1: Yeah, me too. Exactly. I mean, he was he was consistent, and uh, he he did his thing, and uh, it was it was good to watch him. I enjoyed, really enjoyed watching him. Do you have any thoughts on McDuffie? Yeah, I, I mean, he he
2: reminds you a little bit of. Landry yep you know um, yep. he wasn't a big yardage guy you know he was a guy that that consistent he, he caught everything thrown at him and um, you know he didn't average a lot per catch but he you know he didn't score a lot of touchdowns but again you know just a, just a great player very good punt returner too. yes, yes. exactly. Uh, he, he did a lot of things really really well very very disciplined player. And
0: who'd you have for number five?
2: <laughs> number five, uh, th- that was the toughest one. My first three or four were pretty easy, um, you know, for the most part. Uh, but getting that fifth guy, you know, there were, and we'll talk about it maybe later in regard to some of the honorable mentions on, on our list if we have time. But uh, my number five was Brian Cox. And, you know, the reason the reason for Cox being on this list is, the absolute insanity that he brought to the football field when he was playing. Uh, you know, he, he, Mike, we were at the game on a Monday night where he took on the whole Cincinnati Bengals sideline yep. uh, because they, they cheap-shotted our kickers, Stajanovich, I believe it was at the yes, time, it was. correct? Yes, Yep. And he literally went over to the sideline and just took the whole Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> team on at once. You know, everybody knows about the Buffalo middle finger when he shot, you know, he, he shot the whole stadium. That was awesome. Um, you know, but, you know, past all that, he, he was just an outstanding player. He was a three-time pro bowler. He was a three-time all-pro. You know, he had, with us, he had 31 and a half sacks from that linebacker position over five years. So, you know, he averaged roughly six sacks a season, and I mean, he, he basically was our defense at that point. You know, we had some guys coming in, but he was our main guy. I, as a matter of fact, I think he was our only Pro Bowl player over those few years. Uh, I could be mistaken. And the thing that, that you're going to find on my list, and I don't, you know, as, as you and Matt, you know, come back with your list, Brian Cox was a fifth-round draft pick. And some of the guys, I was amazed at where these guys were drafted. The guys that were on my list, and that that's the most surprising thing to me. And the fact that you get a guy like him in the fifth round just says enough about you know the the character that this guy had, you know the the um, the ability to change games, you know with his aggressiveness and with you know with his attitude. And you know that's why he's on my list.
0: No, oh, he be- he belongs on your list. Uh you know, he's certainly a player that got people excited. That's what you're looking for in your favorite players, right? I mean, you're looking for guys that get you excited. And I think uh, Brian Cox certainly falls into that group. Now I went ahead and uh, I, I took Ed Newman. The reason I took Ed, I don't know if people know this, but at the time, he was the strongest Dolphin ever. He played in 167 games, so he was certainly uh, a, a guy that did his time and, uh, Uh, He went to three Super Bowls, uh, the Vikings in 73, and then the Redskins in 49ers later. Uh, He was a three-time All-Pro and uh, went to the Pro Bowl four times. Uh, He didn't play in the 85 season. He had uh, a third knee injury, and uh, he had overcome thyroid cancer earlier in his career. So, he he finished his career in 85. Uh, He was inducted into the team's Walk of Fame in 2014. And he currently serves on the uh, alumni board of directors for the team. Uh, So, he he certainly acknowledged, you know, with his peers. And uh, I always enjoyed watching him play. You know, he came right after uh, Langer and Little and uh, Kuchenberg. And uh, he mixed in with that group pretty well. Any thoughts on him, guys?
2: Go ahead, Matt.
1: Yeah, I, I have to admit, I don't really uh, know a whole lot about him. A little bit before my time, uh, so I didn't see. I didn't. Uh, I'm sorry, I get this you that. from you. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I'm a. You have a lot more knowledge than I do on him. <laughs> he, um, you know, it, it,
2: the thing I remember about Ed Newman was, you know, the professionalism. He went out. He did his job. You know, every single game, he went out, and he just dominated the guy across from him. Yeah, he was a lot like Dwight Stevenson in that sense, you know, to where he just just took the guy. He bullied people. He He bullied bullied people. people. He was strong, and he was disciplined penalties you never you never had his name called on penalties he's a judge now isn't he down in yes, Miami he yes he and is been for years and you know that's the type of guy he was you know he, he was like that on the football field he was the same way very disciplined and just doing his job and walking away at the end of the game and on the next week
0: yep yep it was fun to watch I thought and uh great player yep um Matt who was your fourth pick
1: my fourth guy, Brock Marion. Uh, one thing I'm surprised about when I talk uh, with Finn fans is uh, a lot seems to think he just finished his career in Miami after uh, the bulk of his career in Dallas, but he played uh, six seasons in Miami after five years in Dallas. All three of his Pro Bowl selections came as a Dolphin. 20 of his 31 interceptions came as a Dolphin. Uh, guy that, you know, game-changing inter- interceptions took uh, – Interceptions, back to the house, uh, all over the field, making plays. Great combo with Zach Thomas, just a guy I really enjoyed watching and uh, was a great career in Miami.
0: Matt, do you remember who he uh, started alongside?
1: Yeah, he started with a couple of guys. Uh, Sammy Knight, a few seasons in there, I believe, and uh, Arturo Freeman. So uh, uh, he he had a couple of guys uh, that rotated through uh, during his career there.
0: Yeah, when he and Knight were back there, they they were pretty formidable.
1: Yeah, Knight was definitely probably his uh, best duo sidekick.
0: Lou, who was yours? Who was your fourth player?
1: Okay, so we're back to linebackers.
2: Offerdahl, John Offerdahl. He played with us from 86 through 93. Again, not a number one draft pick. Second round draft pick. Um, he went to the Pro Bowl five times. He was an All-Pro twice. He was uh, the 86, 1986 Defensive Rookie of the Year. And uh, the thing that just impressed me most about Offerdall was when he would hit offensive players. You knew it was him hitting that player. You would literally see head snap back, the bodies just go back two, three yards. And he did that on a consistent basis. You know, he was just... He, he was just an incredibly smart player as well. He was a guy that he, he must have did a lot of studying because it seemed like he was in uh, the offensive team's backfield over and over again, just doing a lot of things that uh, the guy that plays for us now doesn't do. You know, it, it's the other end of the spectrum. Um, this, he was just incredible at, at making plays, hitting guys behind the line of scrimmage, he was just so impressive. The problem with with Offerdahl was the fact that he constantly got hurt because he wasn't a very big guy, and he left everything on the field. And in the end, that's basically what did him in. You know, he was just so physical. Not a big guy, but you know, it, it basically cost him his you know his career, a very short career. And I'm going to throw an interesting stat at you, Mike. Um, the 91, 91 through 93 seasons you know those 50 games which included you know 16 regular season games each year and then two playoff games that we were in um, when he was in they were 14 and three over those three years when he was out of the lineup they were 15 and 18 so that that's the that's the kind of impact that this guy had on our defense. So 14 and three with him in the lineup and 15 and 18 over that three year period. That's and amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely is. It, it's a, you know, it was a time where our offense was decent and our defense, you know, struggled, you know, Buffalo had those great offenses and, you know, we all know how we struggled against them. I mean, everybody did, but, you know, us in particular, you know, because we put up 30 points and still lose by 10, you know, it seemed, you know. So, you know, Offerdahl was, you know, just an incredibly gifted player. You know, he, he was he was just impressive.
0: Well, to give the younger audience a visual, uh, when I think of Offerdahl hitting somebody, I think of a train hitting a car. Right. <laughs> Because that was the kind of impact it had. I mean, he just lit people up.
2: He did. I mean, he you know he sent guys flying in the opposite direction, and uh, you know he did it on a consistent basis. I'll bring up another interesting thing, Mike. You know, back we played Buffalo in a playoff game up in Buffalo, and it was a back and forth game where you know defensively we just couldn't stop them. Well, before the game. You know there was a question as to whether Offerdahl was going to start the game or not, and you know at the time I you know I I would be known to put a little wager on games every once in a while. You know that was back in the day as a young fella. So <laughs> never the, do that now. When when they found out that Offerdahl was not playing on our defensive side of the ball, and this is no nonsense when I tell you this, the spread went up. I think, two and a half points. Buffalo went up two and a half more points in, in regard to, you know, being favored in that game. So that, that's, the, that's the type of guy he was, and that's what I remember most about him.
0: That's probably because Vegas knew that other stat that you mentioned.
2: <laughs> yes, probably so. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, my
0: fourth guy, a lot of people will remember uh, that have been around a while, uh, Vern Herder. Now, Verne wasn't a spectacular player. He wasn't a a highlight reel player, but he was super steady. Uh, He played 166 games. He played 17 playoff games. He was a grinder. He did recover 14 fumbles, and uh, he had an interception during his 12-year career. He came in in 71, sat the bench for a season, uh, won the job in 72, and and did not miss a game uh, until 1977 when he missed a few. He then played another four complete seasons uh, before missing two games in 1981. Injuries were starting to get the best of him at that point in his career, and uh, he got unseated by the killer bees. But uh, uh, Den Herter was kind of the Kuchenberg of the defense. You know, people overlooked him, but they really had trouble beating him. He was just a tough, tough football player. What do you remember about Den Herter, Lou?
2: Yeah. Just consistency. He was there for years. Uh, you know, he played through the you know the, the teams that went to the Super Bowls, and he was there in the late seventies, and he was there in the early eighties. And you know, he was he was just a rock solid football player. You know, he went out. He wasn't spectacular, but he did his job.
0: He did his job. That's it. I mean, he was just a grinder. Mm-hmm. What a way to
2: say it.
1: Great old school right. Dolphins. Yeah, I
0: mean, you know, these guys—they were a lot of those guys fall into that category where they were just steady, steady football players. They—they they didn't, you know, they didn't make the highlight reels, but when you went back and watched the game, all they did was make plays, you know. So they were where they were supposed to be, and they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And when you got eleven guys that do that, it's—it's it's really hard to lose.
2: Mm-hmm. Mike, do you know what round? Vern den Herter was drafted in. I
0: honestly don't remember. I want to say the eleventh, but I could be way off.
2: He was a ninth, ninth. <laughs> round draft pick yeah. and, and you know do you see you know the the, the common denominator in these players that and we're we're only through a few so far, but none of these guys are number one draft picks, and you know I don't want to keep going back to this but this is this is what has to be instilled in in our team now. You have to get guys like this
0: that's right.
2: you know you can't keep missing on the later round players first round players any players
0: no you you've gotta have a solid draft and uh you know when, when these guys were all drafted they were they were killing it. I mean they were killing the draft uh it, it when you go back and look at the trades that they made and the drafting that they were doing and the free agents that they were picking up, you know that's how you build a team you've got you've got to hit in all these areas but
1: these guys now, that had, i said these guys that kind of had to uh prove that they belonged late round draft picks i mean they ended up being some of the greatest players, especially in Finn's history so uh you know that chip on their shoulder proving they belong you know doing what they could to contribute to the team in any way possible it's something you don't see a whole lot of anymore so it's nice to see that in the older players
0: as we talked about last week free agency kind of changed the game because you know with guys moving around you're not recognizing it as much i think there's probably just as many people that fall into this category But because they're doing it for two and three different teams, maybe we're not as aware of it. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, that does. Definitely. All right. So who is your third favorite player? Mine is Ricky Williams. Uh, You know, this is just based on the field. I'm not even basing in any of his off the field stuff. You know, that's all well documented. But man, you know, Ricky could run run Ricky run and you know they weren't there wasn't all sorts of different schemes just to get him out in space and get him one-on-one I mean his first season he ran over 1800 yards scored 16 touchdowns uh, and you know a good portion of those were just running up the middle man and uh, He took a beating, but he just kept on going I mean he that might have led to some of his off-the-field decisions, you know running up the middle so much, but and he was fun to watch uh you know he could run through you he could run around you and uh i wish he was if he didn't have off the field issues i definitely think he would have been a hall of famer uh i agree with you so yeah just a guy that i enjoyed watching when he was on the field wish he was on the on the field more but when he, when he was on the field it was it was fun to watch the thing that impressed me
2: so much about ricky was when he came back the second time and how productive he was. You know, when, when him and Ronnie Brown were sharing carries in the backfield, you know, he came back after that hiatus and, and he was so productive for us. You know, he, he still had the ability to just take it to the house. Yep. And, you know, his combination of, of speed and power – you know like like you guys said, uh, he could have very well been the best ever because he he was you know he was he just had that kind of speed and power. It's such a big strong guy and you know and, and he's a great in I mean you know to sit down and talk to him, he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. I mean, he's just a great, great individual. Outside of all, you know, all all the things, all the all the bad raps that he's got for one thing or another walking away from the team. He had his reasons, you know, I'm sure only he'll know the, the real truth behind it, uh, you know, because nothing's really come out about it. I mean, there has been speculation, you know, Wonstadt, I believe, got blamed a lot for um just pounding him over and over and over again, and he got tired of it. But bottom line is, is that the guy was just an incredible player, and he was one of the greatest players in Dolphin history to watch. You know, when you turned the TV on on Sunday, you know when he was there, when he first came over, you you were just fired up. You were like, this guy is just a beast, and he was so much fun to watch.
0: He reminded me of Earl Campbell. Yes yeah I'm just talking running
2: style you know oh, absolutely
0: physical fast runners absolutely and, uh, yep
2: absolutely they,
0: they just to me they're very very similar. agreed. all right, so who is yours, Lou? Uh,
2: another defensive player a guy named Bob Baumhauer. who Bob Baumhauer nah, I'm kidding <laughs> uh, the guy played nose tackle for us for uh, God he played 10 years at the nose-tackle position. And again, a guy that wasn't a first-round draft pick, second-round draft pick out of Alabama. He went to five Pro Bowls from the nose-tackle position, two-time All-Pro, and again, a Defensive Rookie of the Year back in 1977. Actually, him and A.J. Dewey shared the, uh, the award. Uh, the guy had, from the, from the nose-tackle position, he had 39 and a half sacks over his Dolphin career. He had an interception, 16 fumble recoveries, 888 tackles over that period. Think From, about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was the defensive player of the year back in 1983, Pro Football Weekly's defensive player of the year. The guy was the anchor of that Killer B defense. Everything went around him. He controlled the middle of the field. Uh, just just a cement block there. I mean, they would they would have two guys on him. It allowed Bo Camper and Betters to basically, you know, have one-on-ones consistently. And then they'd, you know, they'd rush Dewey, they'd blitz Dewey. He he freed up the linebackers behind them, the inside backers. He he was he was our anchor on that killer B defense. And you know the, the guy really at the end of his career. I mean, Mike, you remember the sign. You know the signing that we did with him. Yep, his his hand I do. his hands were so mangled that when he was signing autographs for people, he was holding the pen in a way that you don't normally hold it. He was just propping it in his hand and and signing autographs that way. And you know he, he just sacrificed so much. Um, you know, for for the benefit of the team. I mean, the guy was just a true warrior. And, you know, that's why he's on my list. All
0: right, let me go ahead and uh, give you my third. I I think most people will know who this is. It's Tony Nathan. Now, he's not not in Ricky Williams' class, certainly, but I I valued Tony for different reasons. I think everybody will remember the... uh, Game he had against the Chargers in that uh, epic in Miami, you know, the uh, playoff game. He had 169 yards that game, scored a couple of touchdowns, uh, scored on a hook and lateral play uh, after he caught the pitch from Daryl Harris. He played nine seasons uh, in the NFL. He had 3,543 yards rushing. And he also had 3,592 yards receiving. And that tells you all you need to know about Nathan. Uh, He was a dual threat. He scored 32 touchdowns. He had 16 of those rushing and 16 of those receiving. He threw eight passes, completed four of them, uh, threw a touchdown. And uh, he retired in 1988. He became assistant to uh, Coach Shula. Uh, He then became the running backs coach in uh, 1993. Uh, Now, he averaged uh, through his career 4.8 yards a rush, and there's only been one player in uh, franchise history that's exceeded that number, and that was Mercury Morris, who averaged five yards a carry. Uh, He ranks sixth in team history in rushing. Uh, He ranks ninth in team history in receiving. Now... Those receiving yardage, most people probably won't realize this, but uh, he's a top running back in that category. And uh, uh, the second-place guy is Jim Kick. Kick had 2,210 yards to uh, Tony's uh, 3,592. So you can see that uh, he's got a pretty comfortable lead there. He was first-team All-Pro his his rookie season for his work-returning kicks. And and we mentioned earlier that – uh, Ed Newman's a judge. Well, his bailiff is uh, Tony Nathan. Both those guys made my list. I probably should go hang out in the courtroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, I don't know you personally for your showing up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Tony, Mike. You know, just
2: to uh, you know, add a little bit to what you were saying. He he was a guy that you know, Marino, Greasy, Strzok, Woodley. They all check down to him, and he was always there and always making plays and converting third downs and, you know, running the football. You know, it was interesting what you said. You know, he's he's second behind Mercury Morris. You know, he didn't get the ball a lot. You know, Shula was doing things that, you know, Belichick does now with, you know, a, a just a gang of running backs playing you know in a backfield and that's situational situational you know tony nathan was part of what shula was doing you know they had woody bennett they had andre franklin they had before that they had leroy harris and gary davis and tony nathan was a guy that just basically was a situational guy that was always productive so that's that's what i remember most about him
0: yeah that that sums it up uh uh, Matt, Matt, you didn't see him play, did you?
1: Not a whole lot. I think I see. I remember seeing him a little bit uh, going back. You know, you know, by my recollection, recollections just seem like a Swiss Army knife kind of guy. I mean, uh, you know, our, talking about all all purpose back. Uh, you know, that's what sticks out to me thinking about him.
0: Yep, that's that's pretty much what he was. I guess a, a Swiss Army knife uh,
1: describes it well. So, who is your second favorite player? My second p- favorite player is Richmond Webb. I mean, uh, just a guy, eleven season with the with fence, 118 consecutive starts, seven consecutive Pro Bowls. You know, protecting Marino, uh, a guy that's the ultimate pocket passer, which probably made his uh, job even harder in some ways. I mean, Marino constantly threw among the highest in the league, but he was sacked among the least. You know, Richmond also went up against the guys like Bruce Smith, quite possibly the best to ever play the position uh, twice a year and always held his own. He uh, just, you know, Bruce Smith and him had great respect between each other and uh, because they really respected what each one brought to the game and knew that, you know, they were in for a contest uh, for those games you know a lot of times offensive linemen don't get a lot of recognition but he's a guy that uh he did it you know it was an honor for me to be at the game uh where Richmond Webb was uh, inducted into the Dolphins Ring of Honor I was right there by his name he's a guy that I always looked up to he always had my respect and he always seemed to have the respect of the team and uh the respect of his opponents so well, I gave it up to him have- He
0: definitely had the respect of his team, and uh, I think he had the respect of his peers as well. I mean, uh, you know, the opponents, uh, I don't think they like to face Richmond. I really don't. And the battles he had with uh, Bruce Smith are legendary. I mean, that was worth the price of admission in itself. Uh, I can tell you this. I know Moreno was very, very happy to have Richmond protecting him because uh, he wouldn't have made it as long as he did if he didn't. That's, that's my feelings on Richmond. Great, great man, too. Just a great man.
2: Lewis? You know, he was, uh, you know, he had to protect that side where, you know, and it wasn't only Bruce Smith. I mean, there were, there were guys in the league, you know, with, with great pass rushers that, you know, every week it seemed like you had somebody different. That he had to go up against that was just, you know, yeah, a, yeah. a beast of a football player, you know, at the time. And uh, he always, always got, you know, always got the job done. I mean, we were we were successful, you know, later on in Marino's career because of him, you know, because they, we had a few years, Mike, prior to him. I don't remember. uh I don't remember exactly who it was. I want to say Dellenbach filled in a little bit there um, before Webb had come. But, oh, my goodness. we Yeah, had that so line many. was
0: bad. <laughs> oh,
2: we had some brutal guys at that left tackle position for a season or two before they drafted yep. Webb. So he and really. And Sims.
0: And the Sims. And so.
2: Sims, right. Yep. They came in the same draft and, and they really solidified that offensive line. And it allowed Marino to, you know, have just those that second part of his career. It extended his career and it, you know, it, it allowed him to, to, you know, to be the Hall of Fame player that he is. Agreed.
0: Who was your uh, second favorite?
2: My second favorite was Nat Moore. You know Moore, <laughs> another guy. You know again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but a third-round draft pick. Again, not a first-round draft pick. He played 13 seasons for us, and you know the thing about Nat Moore, and there's very few guys that played on our, you know, on our Miami Dolphins that that can say this. He was a bridge. Um, he he, you know, he got drafted in 1974. So he was there, you know, for those those teams, like you know, the seventy-two team, a lot of the guys were still there. Warfield was there, and that was a bridge through Greasy and that offense. Yeah, he was Warfield's replacement. He was Warfield's replacement. He played through the Stroked Woodley era, and then he played with Marino, and he was productive with everybody. The Dolphins, when Woodley was there, you know, they, they, they weren't a big passing team. They, you know, they, they, Their strengths were defense, and they ran the ball. You know, they just beat you down. But Nat was there through all that. Uh, when Marino came into the pitcher, you know, what people forget is that Clayton and Duper were so great on the outside, but Nat Moore was our slot guy. And again, it goes back to what a lot of teams do now. You know, Shula was doing back in the 80s. You know, Nat Moore, Cephalo, they were slot receivers and just incredibly productive for so long. He was only a Pro Bowl player one year back in 1977. But, you know, the guys in our Ring of Honor, he played 183 games for us. I mean, that's a lot of seasons. He had 74 touchdowns receiving at the end of his career. And um, he's still in the organization. You know, he's a diehard. He's a true blue dolphin all the way through. I mean, he's been with the organization since 1974. You know, how many years now is that? You know, he's still with the team in 2019. So, you know, do the math. Um, You know, this guy epitomizes what we were at one point and hope to get back to.
1: Yeah, I've met him a couple of different times in the. walking the hallways at the stadium so uh true guy uh as you said you know he loves the dolphins uh just greatness emanates from him one of my favorite guys i've met
2: yeah i think i got off it a little bit you know in regard to the bridge thing you know he bridged you know the receivers as well i went through the quarterbacks but you know he was there with warfield and then he bridged us to the to the clayton duper era so he brought you know, what he was taught from Warfield to, to Duper and Clayton. And you, you can't really put a value on that, you know, money-wise or, you know, in any way, shape or form. When, when guys like this are in your organization, you, you hope that anybody that you draft or anybody that you bring in as a player becomes a Nat Moore type of guy. So, again, I can't say enough about him. Just
0: think about it. He got to learn from one of the best ever in Warfield. And uh, I'm sure that he learned. I'm sure that he soaked it up because that's the kind of player that he was. You know, Nat was always trying to get better. And then he did pass it down to uh, Duper and Clayton, and we saw the results that they had. So, you know, those are some great receivers, all of them. And uh, we're fortunate to have watched all of them play. Agreed. Now, my second favorite was Dick Anderson. I know a lot of people favor Jake Scott over Dick, and I guess it's just a matter of preference, but uh, Anderson played 121 games with the franchise. Uh, He had 34 career interceptions. He had 16 fumble recoveries, (laughs) scored four touchdowns. Uh, He became the seventh player to intercept four passes in a game, and that happened against the Steelers in 1973. Uh, I was at that game. It was a Monday night game, and uh, I was young. I mean, I was 13 years old, and uh, I really appreciated him after that because that, that was phenomenal. It was just uh, it was just a phenomenal game by a safety, and he just lit out the Orange Bowl. Six defenders have tied that feat since. How many years has it been? As has that been since that happened, and uh, you know, only six guys have done it since. Uh, he was drafted in the third round of the uh, 68 draft, and uh, that year he was named uh, the Defensive Rookie of the Year. 2006, he was inducted into the uh, Dolphins honor roll, and uh, as such was the first defensive back uh, to have that recognition. Uh, they also inducted the entire 72 team shortly thereafter, so you could say he was inducted twice. Uh, what are your recollections of uh, Anderson, Lou?
2: All right, so Dick Anderson was the glue in the secondary. Jake Scott, great player. You know, our corners were, you know, average. I mean, they, they were decent, but, you know, the combination of Scott and Dick Anderson, you had basically two Pro Bowl players back there, and they were just generals. You know, if you look at them, you know, they're they're they had – everything down in that secondary. They were always in the right place at the right time. Dick Anderson especially. I mean, like you talked about Mike, you know, always around the football, always making big plays, coming up with big interceptions. Strong hitter too. Strong hitter too. Yeah, he could hit. He can he could absolutely hit. Um, you know, a guy that probably belongs in the Hall of Fame.
0: I think so. Time for our last round. Uh who's your favorite? Uh number 1 favorite, Matt?
1: Yeah, this guy—he may very well be up with my favorite players of all time in the Hall of Fame or not—and uh, that's Zach Thomas. I mean, I just loved watching him play for the dozen years in Miami. A guy that you know had over 100 tackles, ten at least ten of those years. Uh, played with his heart on his sleeve. He he led by example, and he laid it all out he went all out, you know, he was a little bit undersized coming in, but he was like the little train that could, man. He just, he <laughs> just kept rolling. And uh, I loved watching him play. Uh, you know, like I said, those dozen years with uh, Zach Thomas was uh, great. I loved just seeing what he was going to do, whether he was, you know, flying through the air, laying somebody out or, you know, interception on a robber play or, you know, whatever. He just, he left it out on the field, and he was a joy to watch. And uh, just, uh, I believe he was a fifth-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. He and uh, And, you know, he came in, started all 168 games he played in Miami, and just a joy to watch and just one of those guys that you can't ask for anything better as a, from the perspective as a fan, as a teammate. You knew you were in good hands with Zach on the field. He's just a guy I never remember saying, man, Zach had a bad game. I loved watching him. Like I said, very well, maybe my favorite player of all time. He was studious.
0: He studied. He wanted to be good, and he worked hard at being good. You know, that's that's how I think of Zach Thomas. Uh, definitely somebody who belongs, and uh, hopefully he does make the Hall of Fame uh, sometime soon.
1: I'm hoping. You know, he could
2: play. He could play. Uh, he ran sideline to sideline. And, uh, you know, he he was a pretty good cover linebacker as well. I mean, he was a hitter. You know, he was an all-around very, very good player. No question. Who was your favorite, Lou? My favorite, Mark Clayton, number one on my list. I'll give you the reasons why. Let me give you a little bit of history on him. So, again, you know, we're beating a dead horse here. I keep saying this. This guy was drafted in the eighth round. Eighth round out of Louisville back in 1983 he wound up playing 10 years with us uh went to the pro bowl five times uh, was an all pro three times back in 1984 caught 18 touchdown passes in a season now since then you know do the math again people There has only been two players that have caught more touchdown passes in a season. One being Randy Moss, who I believe caught 23 on that Patriot team that went undefeated. And then, you know, uh, the Giants beat him in the Super Bowl. And I believe Jerry Rice had 22 one year. But what is that, 35 years later? Yeah. And with the way the game has changed – and if you look at this in perspective as to what he did back in 1984 catching 18 touchdown passes in a season that's over 1 per game and the fact that with the rule changes and every you know and everything that's that's changed in the game of football that he still thir- he has still the third highest amount of touchdown catches in a season says a lot about the type of player this guy was uh, he wound up catching 84 touchdown passes and almost, he almost he had almost 9,000 yards receiving. He averaged over 15 yards a catch. He averaged 19 yards a catch back in 1984. Now, he had 73 catches that year, and he averaged almost 20 yards a catch. I mean, what, what does that tell you about the type of player that he was? I mean, Duper was great in his way, but Clayton... It just brought so much, so many different things. Duper was a burner. Clayton was they were they were the perfect complement to absolutely. each other. Absolutely, uh, he went over the middle, and he was so elusive. When you got him in the open field, he just—I mean, we, Mike, we were at the Monday night game. Yes, I, I saw sure. he caught a pass at like the thirteen or twelve yard line. You know, we were going in for a score. And he literally juked four or five Bears within like an eight-yard period. It was it was one of the most unbelievable eight-yard plays I've ever seen in my he literally juked four got four or five guys out of their pants, you know, to get to get eight yards on the play. Just he, and that's the type of player he was. He was he had an attitude too. When he came he to did. the field, you talk about Brian Cox and guys like that. This guy, I mean, he was in people's faces. He he had just, just such a chip on his shoulder. And if you look at those Dolphin teams from that back then, Mike, you had Marino, obviously, who was like that. But past that, you had guys like you mentioned Ed Newman, who's on the list, Kuchenberg, Dwight Stevenson, you know, gentle giant. You didn't have those type of guys. Clayton was like right behind Marino. You know, in regard to the tenacity and just a chip on his shoulder type of player. And that's what I loved about him. And that's well, why he was a, number one on my list. He was an
0: eighth round pick. He needed a chip on his shoulder.
2: Absolutely. But even after he had established himself at that point, all through his career, he just had that attitude. And, and that's why he's number one on my list. You know, I just, when we were going down to those games back in the day, I just looked so forward to seeing the ball get thrown to him. You know that that's why he's number 1.
0: Well, we were at that we were at that game on that Monday night against Dallas when he uh caught those three touchdowns and broke that record and I remember that being a very special night.
2: Oh, that was yeah, an incredible incredible game. Cuz Dallas had, had tied the game on some type of fluke you know, tip ball that bounced around. I think Tony Hill grabbed it, ran down yep. the sideline yep. to tie it. I think with what, maybe less than, I think there was less than two minutes in the game. Yeah,
0: it was late in the game.
2: It was late in the game, and Marino and the Dolphins got the ball right back, and he caught a ball over the middle and I think took it like 50, 60 yards. And uh, we went into the playoffs. Yep. Rest is history.
0: Yeah. And they eliminated Dallas in the process. Yes. All right. So I guess I got to give you my favorite. Y'all know I love Bob Kuchenberg. He made my list as my favorite. Uh, Bob played 196 games. He played 19 playoff games, 11 of which were wins, which is a club record. No other player for the team has won 11 playoff games. He was a six-time Pro Bowler, uh, the first time in 1974 and the last time in 1983. So you can see he was good and he was consistent. From 70 to 83, the Dolphins' running backs averaged 4.29 yards per carry. That's the number one average in the NFL for that 14-year period. Uh, In that same exact time frame, the Dolphins allowed the fewest number of sacks in the NFL, 1.86 sacks allowed per game. Uh, Also during that same period, the Dolphins had the best winning percentage in professional sports. They won 70.3% of their games and went to four Super Bowls, winning two. Uh, during his career, the team was 151, 62, and 2. Not one but two Hall of Fame players, Langer and Stevenson, sat the bench behind Kuchenberg 11 years apart. Uh, in fact, Cooch was a starter his entire career. He played with a broken arm in the 73 playoffs, uh, and incredibly, in my opinion, a broken back and uh, body cast in 1977. The Hall of Famer uh, defensive tackle Bob Lilly said about Cooch. I first played Cooch in the Super Bowl VI, and uh, I realized he was one of the best linemen I had ever seen. Well, I played him again the next year, (laughs) and he was even better. He should be in the hall. Uh, Bubba Smith uh, said, Cooch, being on the all-time Super Bowl team speaks for itself. I played against him my entire career, and he was the best the Dolphins had. Uh, The best trap blocker in the business, He handled people like Joe Green, Tommy Hart, Mike Reed, D.D. Lewis, and Dave Butts. He used to drive Deacon Jones crazy. Uh, Don Shula said about Bob, uh, he contributed more to help my team win than any player I ever coached. Wherever the team needed him, that's where he played, whether it be guard, tackle, center, or long snapper. No Dolphin had a better winning record, and I talked about that above. So, You can see, you know, his peers certainly respected him. I respected him. I love to watch him play. And uh, I think it's a travesty that this man is not in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I guess it's political. Uh, You know, Bob was outspoken, and he didn't always make people happy. But when it came to lining up on Sunday, he was there no matter what. And uh, he'd beat the crap out of you. What do you remember about Bob (laughs) Blue?
2: Well, a lot of the things that you said, Mike, you know, Hall of Fame, definitely. You know, it's sad that he's passed, but he will get into the Hall of Fame at some point. Uh, the numbers are there. Everything, you know, the quotes from the players that he went against. I mean, think about the guys that you mentioned as you were talking about them. Uh, those guys are all in the Hall of Fame. And, and, you know, the fact that they're talking about Cooch and the way that they do, it, he, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's, a, he's one of the other few guys, you know, including, you know, who I talked about earlier, Nat Moore, to where he bridged, you know, he was a bridge. You know, he was there through Greasy and he was there when, you know, Marino basically came on the scene. And uh, <laughs> I remember him saying a lot about Marino, yes. you know, and yes. and the passing game. He wasn't a major – He wasn't
0: a big fan, no. He wasn't, he wasn't. a major
2: fan. He was a no. grinded-out guy. You know, he wanted them to run the ball more, and he felt that they would have probably won a few Super Bowls had they done that. Uh, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. The guy was a great player, and like you said, he was very, very outspoken, and maybe that has hurt him in regard to his – you know, the reason why he's not there yet, but but he will get there. And, you know, that's a great choice for, uh, you know, the number one on your list. I mean, truly, truly uh, a great Dolphin player. One tough SOB. Well, no we, you know,
0: we, these are the kind of guys we need. Uh, it's what we've been lacking. Uh, you know, guys that just get in the trenches and get the job done. Uh, I don't care if your arm hurts, your back hurts, your knee hurts, get the job done. And that's that's what Bob did. Unbelievably so, and, and you know, play with a broken back. How do you, you know, how often do you hear that? Have you ever heard of another player doing that?
2: Not at all. He, might, he had he had eyesight problems late in his career too, didn't they? From you know, I mean, I remember that vaguely to where, you know, one of you know, he just was having a very hard time seeing out of one of his eyes late in his career. I believe it was him. I remember that with
0: Gracie. I don't remember that with him, but you could be right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you you a- be right.
0: All right, so that that's what we've got. Uh good job guys. Uh, uh I did have Richmond Webb on my list and I did have Zach Thomas on my list, but uh Matt being the youngster of the group, I let him keep them and uh
2: nice <laughs> and guy, I Mike.
0: A, I picked up another couple of guys that I thought were deserving. So
2: And I had uh, Ricky on the list, Mike. So yes he, you did. He, he yes, took you did. he took three of our guys, but that's fine, yeah. you know. Yes, because, yes. Uh, You know, everybody that I think we talked about was very uh, deserving.
0: All right, so we've we've gone ahead and given our uh, five favorites each. Now, I know we had a couple of shout-outs we wanted to just throw out real quick. Uh, Lou, why don't you throw out the first one?
2: Yeah, this guy wasn't the greatest of players. Uh, You know, he was a very solid player for us. But the thing about Jim Mandich, and that's who I'm getting to, the announcing that he did for us you know to listen to him on the radio he he bled dolphin he was he was just an incredible individual to listen to on the radio he got you so fired up as you were driving a car around or whether you were at home listening whatever the case may be he was such a homer but he was so good at what he did phenomenal and, and i absolutely miss i cannot listen the radio it's since he left i will not listen to unless i absolutely have to because i'm not in front of a tv i have a very hard time listening to them now without him being there because he spoiled us and we had some great ones before him but you know to listen to him during a game and the things that he came i mean he made you laugh he, he put you know he, he he gave you chicken skin at times you know he just gave you thrills over and over again just listen and to him announce games. And, you know, that that's my shout out to a guy that, you know, maybe wasn't the, one of the better Dolphins. You know, he's not comparable to he the guys. He wasn't bad. I mean. You no, know, he wasn't bad, but he's not comparable yeah. to the guys we have on this list. Right. But, but he, right. you know, what he did well, is. Well, we an had announcer. Marv Fleming.
0: He really didn't have the opportunity. Marv, Marv was really the, the that, main guy.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my shout out
0: and uh we were going to shout out for rick weaver who was the original voice of the dolphins and uh, uh-huh. not a player uh, and Mandich was but rick uh, bled aqua and orange and uh, uh he introduced the uh, white handkerchief to the uh, fan base and <laughs> yeah. uh that took off and uh, you know the steelers then copied with their terrible <laughs> towel right. <laughs> right and uh you know it, it during the perfect season, I remember uh, during the Kansas City game, which was our first game that year, when the game ended and the Dolphins had won, he mentioned that you can't have an undefeated season unless you win the first one. So, he was a bit of a prophet as well. <laughs> uh, so, I enjoyed listening to Rick and... uh uh, I liked uh, Bill Zimfer, who came right after him. But uh, I wanted to shout out Rick, and, and you shouted out for Jim Mandich. Do you have somebody you want to throw a shout out to, Matt?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say uh, Cam Wake is, uh, you know, one thing that was difficult for me putting this list together is it's so hard to compare current players to previous players just because the game has changed. But, uh, you know, if I had to go with the current player, you know, I you know, of course, he's Cam Wake is that guy. Another guy that showed up, professional guy that, you know, has been the heart of our defense yep. for the past year. So, Certainly uh, deserving. It was very hard for me to uh, come up with these players, and it's really hard for me to put current players compared to previous players. So uh, shout-out to Cam Wake. He's the only current player that I could really say had a, a good shot at this list.
2: Right, and he's probably the only current player that, you know that well that we've had over the last 10 years that <laughs> that, that would belong on this list <laughs> or or that that, you know, he may make the Hall of Fame. He's one of right. the I mean, you look at our, you know, the players and the personnel that we've had and he is one of the few that's got a shot at going to the Hall of Fame. You know, he was that type of player. So we'll see, you know, hopefully that is the case, but yeah, very deserving. He was actually, you know, one of my finalists. Um, So yeah, that's, 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 he's a great player. No question. Yep.
0: All right, guys. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. I want to ask everybody that's listening to please subscribe to the podcast and uh, uh, like it, leave us comments. Uh, We'll be happy to answer your questions if you have any and uh, keep listening. Uh, until next week, fans up. Fenz up.
2: Fans up.